Welcome to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast, a deep dive into biblical leadership with pastor and author, Dr. Gerald Brooks. Hi, this is Gerald Brooks. Thank you so much for joining me for another podcast. Before we go any further, I want to thank so many of you. On our last podcast, I ask if you would do me a favor. If you would just take the podcast, if you would forward it, email it, text it, put it to some of your friends and let them know about it. And so many of you did that. One, it just means so much to me when leaders are wanting to help other leaders. And for those of you that did it, thank you, thank you, thank you. Today, if maybe you haven't done it, maybe you could pause and when you're done, you could take this podcast and mention it to some of your friends. That would mean so much to me. Before we jump into the lesson, I want to give you two dates, January 23rd and 31st. On January 31st, I will be doing a roundtable in the Seattle area. On January 23rd, I will be doing a roundtable in the Dallas area. So for those of you in Texas on January 23rd, there's a roundtable. This roundtable is going to cover just some of the greatest information that I think could help you in your journey as you begin to dive into leadership. And then on the 31st, we'll be doing it in Seattle. Either one of those, you can go to my website, CherylBrooksMinistries.com, and you can sign up for them there. I just want to encourage you, if you would do that, it would mean the world to me. I'd love to get to talk to you in person. I'd love to get to meet you in person. Before we go on, I just want to tell you, God has a great future for you. I know we're ending one year, we're heading into the next year, but God has a great future. Today, I want to talk to you about solitude, the secret of great leaders. Solitude, the secret of great leaders. Now, as we jump into this lesson, I realize that everybody is defined by the chair that they sit in. Whatever chair you sit in, that is what defines you. I remember hearing this story. It was of a man who had this beautiful office. His desk would face towards the door, but right behind him was this beautiful scenery of this gorgeous Colorado mountain. It would be snow-capped. It would be the kind of thing that would just make that ultimate hallmark kind of picture moment. But he sat there every day. Every time someone would come in, they would sit in his chair, they would look at him, but in the backdrop was this beautiful mountain. They would always, without fail, comment and say, man, that is such a great view. And every time they would do that, he'd say, oh yeah, that. It was like, oh yeah, that. And they would look at him and they say, this gorgeous view. But see, the thing was, he wasn't facing the mountain. He was facing them. He wasn't facing the mountain. He was facing the doorway. And so what was beautiful to them was just something that was abnormal in his mind because he was just looking at the doorway. See, the chair that you sit in, it determines what you see. Today's lesson's a little bit reflective of that. I've mentioned before that over a leader's life, if they lead the whole journey, there are four phases. There is the faithfulness phase. In other lessons, I've talked to you in detail 
about how this faithfulness phase looks like. The interesting thing biblically, I can't think of an example of someone who was a high profound leader that didn't lead in the faithfulness phase for over a decade. Ten years would be the shortest I can even think of someone leading in the faithfulness phase. I say that to you because if maybe you're at the beginning of your leadership journey, just understand this. You may be in a hurry, but God is not. God's not in a hurry. Now, that being said, faithfulness is where we all start. Can we just be faithful? Moreover, it's required of a steward to be faithful. Well done, my good and faithful servant. He hath enabled me who hath considered me faithful. The concept of faithful. But if you're faithful, then you enter the second phase, which is focus. And focus is that second phase. See, when you're faithful, you may do a hundred things. But after a decade or so, you may find yourself in a position where you're just doing a couple of things. And God's asked you to focus. He said, hey, I want you to do these specific things. So you come from faithful to focused. But if you're faithful and you're focused, please remember when you move from one stage to the other, you do not quit doing the previous stage. So even though you're in the focused stage, you don't quit being faithful. But if you're faithful and you're focused, you enter into the third phase, which is fruitful. Because people who are faithful over time, who focus on what God wants them to do, they begin to bear fruit and they become fruitful. This may be what the world calls success, but God doesn't call it success. He calls it fruitfulness. Here's the nature of fruitfulness. Any tree that's fruitful, the fruit's not for it. It's for others. See, the tree doesn't eat its own fruit. And that's the difference between how the secular and the spiritual is. See, the secular, the fruit's for us. The spiritual, the fruit's for others. And so God says, if you focus you'll eventually become fruitful. And all during this period of time, you're being faithful. So faithfulness leads to focus that leads to fruitfulness. And when you're fruitful, eventually God's going to ask you to finish. Can you finish? It's that chair that I sit in right now. See, faithfulness is something that I've learned to do. Focus is something I've learned to have. Fruitfulness is something that through the grace of God, I've experienced. But now, I'm being asked to finish. Now, when I say that, that doesn't mean my life's over. It just means that I've already made it around three of the curves, and I'm heading into that fourth one. Now, when you head into that fourth one, it really does cost you some time in prayer, where you begin to think and consider, well, I not only want to be faithful, I not only want to focus, and I not only want to be fruitful, but I want to finish. So it's based on that that I began to sit down and think. Now, the premise of this lesson is the, this. Leaders stand out in a crowd. But the reason that a leader stands out in a crowd is because they've learned how to be alone without a crowd. I want you to get that. Leaders stand out in a crowd because they've learned how to be alone without a crowd. 
See, a lot of people want the crowd and they want to be good in face of the crowd, but they're no good when they're by themselves. Do you understand? You don't get to be better publicly than you are privately. Eventually, who you are privately is what's going to show up publicly. So the premise is that leaders stand out in the crowd because they've learned how to stand alone without the crowd. Now, history is filled with great moments with leaders being alone. This is true biblically, and it's true spiritually, but it's also true secularly and naturally. So history's filled with these great moments with leaders being alone, both biblically and spiritually, but it's true also secularly and naturally. So solitude is one of those things that if you're going to finish, you're going to have to learn to master. See, solitude is where Abraham began to discover his destiny. God speaks to him on a dark night and he says, I want you to look at the stars above. I want you to consider the sand below. God was calling him to a place of destiny. We're not giving any indication that there were thousands of people around him. He's going to discover his destiny and solitude. Jacob, he's going to wrestle with an angel at night. He's going to be transformed. He's going to be changed forever. And he's going to be changed forever. And it's going to be when he is alone. It's solitude. Moses is going to be called to lead on the backside of the desert. There's not a crowd around him. But what he's going to begin to navigate is the fact that there's this moment that God's going to encounter him. And Jesus, he didn't make it to the cross without going to the garden. See, the garden was solitude. It was him alone. And it was there that he carried the weight and the burden of what was about to happen. So solitude is where Abraham discovered his destiny. Jacob was transformed. Moses was called. Jesus was prepared for the cross. But secular history is filled as well. See, there are as many stories of profound leadership that happened in secular settings, but they all began in solitude. And the reason being that you can see this both spiritually and secularly, you can see it in the natural and in the supernatural is because solitude enhances specific skills. And what I know is leaders that lead for a long time, leaders that lead and fulfill what God has for them over time, they understand that solitude has skills that are necessary, that there are skills that are required, there are skills that are necessary, there are skills that are needed that can only happen through solitude. So let me walk you through some of the skills that solitude enhances. Solitude enhances intuitive skills. Intuitive skills are basically this, hearing your inner voice more than you hear outer noise. See, many times we'll say someone, they're an intuitive leader. They just get it. Somehow they walk into a room and they know exactly what to do. 
We look at him, we say, man, how do you get that intuitive nature about you? I can tell you that intuitive skills are individuals who've learned to hear their inner voice more than outer noise. All the background noise around them. All the noise that just flourishes around them. All that noise. They learn to hear that inner voice. See, it would be like Elijah. When he heard the earthquake and he heard the mighty wind and he heard the roar of the fire. But God wasn't in the fire. He wasn't in the earthquake and he wasn't in the mighty wind. All of those were noisy. But he was in that still, small voice. Intuitive skills happen when you learn to tune into that inner voice. That place that the volume's not loud. It's easy to miss. The noise of life can drown it out. Circumstances can crowd it out. But intuitive skills happen in solitude. You learn to hear the inner voice. You learn to trust the inner voice. There's probably no one in history who was better at this than Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln, the man who literally stood in the great divide between the North and the South. But more than that, he stood in the great divide between right and wrong. He was the man that refused to allow slavery to be the law of the land. He was the man who just literally said, you know what? This isn't what I'm going to do any longer. And so Abraham would talk about how we need to listen to our better angels. Our better angels are reference to that good part of us. That part of us that many times people become tone deaf to. That part of us that many times people don't hear. He says, we've got to listen to our better angels. We're called to a higher purpose. We're called to a greater cause. We're called to a life that surpasses the ordinary. We've got to listen to the better angels. See, solitude lets us hear on our, our best voice on our worst day. That's what our better angels are. It is hearing our best voice on our worst days. How did Lincoln get to the place that he could hear his better angels? How could he hear his best voice on his worst day? The way he could do that was that Lincoln was famous for his long walks. He would walk at night. I know he had to be under immense stress. I know that the pressure had to be weighing on his shoulders. But the way he would navigate the moment, the noise, the clutter, the crisis, is that he'd walk. And when he would walk, it would be a long walk at night. People wouldn't be around. He'd just be out there. And it was there that he learned to hear. Intuitive skills. See, for him, it was the long walk or the long ride. Either one of those were things he did frequently, but both of them put him in a position that he could hear his best voice on his worst day. How are you doing with that? 
Can you hear your best voice on your worst day? Can you hear that? So solitude enhances our intuitive skills, but solitude also enhances our analytical skills. Now, analytical skills are that part of us that tends to be strategic. Maybe it's the ability to connect A and B and to CC. It's the ability to be able to take thought and begin to congel it together in a way that it begins to make sense. But if you're going to have that, you're going to have to declutter. To be analytical, you have to realize there's more information that can distract you than information that can assist you. And since there's more information that can distract you, solitude allows you to weigh the information. It allows you to filter it. It allows you to sort of begin to take and say good, bad, necessary, unnecessary, need this, don't need this, and you're able to focus. Probably a historical example of that would be a man named Dwight Eisenhower. Dwight Eisenhower is going to be the supreme commander of the Allied forces during World War II. He's going to be the individual that will oversee the invasion of Europe. He's going to make the tough calls. He's going to begin to be the individual who's got to decide, is this going to be the day or is it not going to be the day? What's interesting is, is that he loves solitude, but he processed solitude different than Lincoln, where Lincoln tend to process it by the long walk that sort of distilled life so he could hear his inner voice. What happened with Eisenhower was that he would literally sit down with a pen and a piece of paper and he would write. And he'd write down my top worries. These are my top 10 worries. Are we going to have enough ships? Are we going to be able to bring reinforcements? Is the weather going to stay good? And he would literally go through and he would list his top 10 worries. And then as he was just unpacking the clutter, he would say, of all of these, this is what I really need to be focused on. I can't focus on this, but I can focus on that. And so what happened was in solitude, he was able to distinguish between the warranted and what was real. What were the real things that demanded his attention? And what were the things that were unwarranted that he really didn't need to give attention to? So when he would sit there and he would journal, he would literally look and, and he would just think and he'd go over the list and, and there'd be no added clutter and he'd say yes, no, no, yes. And he would begin to take a list of 10 and he would begin to come up with a strategy because what solitude allowed him to do was to take everything from having the same weight and the same value and saying, this is number one, this is number two, this is where I've got to put my energy, this is where I've got to put my focus. And because of that, his analytical skills were envied. People said, how could he figure out all this? It's because in solitude, 
your analytical skills are enhanced because you've learned the power to declutter. So, in life, intuitive skills. Can you hear your best voice on your worst day? In solitude, analytical skills. Can you declutter so you can figure out really what is important? And then there's reflective skills. In solitude, we deal with our reflective skills, answering critical questions about ourselves. I like to put it this way. The most important questions you ask are never questions about others. They're questions you ask yourself. See, the game changers in my life have not been about others when I've asked them questions. It's been when I've asked myself questions. And reflective skills allow you to answer critical questions. The example in history, it's a great man, Martin Luther King Jr. Martin Luther King Jr., dealt with the weight of the civil rights movement. The civil rights movement was very, very unique because it was nonviolent. See, most movements are violent, but the civil rights movement was to be nonviolent. They would love those who hate them. They would be kind to people who would injure them. They would make the pursuit of righteousness without exhibiting injustice towards others. This was a hard moment. How are you going to thread this needle? Martin Luther King Jr. sat alone at his kitchen table many a night. He makes this statement. He said, at that moment, I experienced the presence of the divine as I had never experienced God before. It seemed as though I could hear the quiet assurance of an inner voice saying, stand up for justice, stand up for truth, and God will be at your side forever. Almost at once, my fears began to go. My uncertainty began to disappear. I was ready to face anything. How do you get moral conviction? It's through having reflective skills. How do you get reflective skills? It's because you go out of your way, and in your reflective skills, you've learned solitude. So solitude teaches us intuitive skills, hearing our inner voice more than the outer noise, analytical skills, deconnecting from the clutter, Reflective skills, answering critical questions about yourself. And number four, creative skills. It is where great ideas flourish. See, if you want to be creative, go into solitude. See, it's in solitude that great ideas begin to flourish. It's in solitude that these great ideas begin to find their life. I have a friend, a very dear friend, who's impacted my life immensely. 
His name's John Maxwell. Now, I've known John before he was famous. Known John before he had a book that was at Barnes and Noble. But what I do know about John is I know his journey. And what John would tell you is this. Most moments of loneliness are really God calling you to be alone with him. See, most loneliness that people feel, that profound sense, I just feel all alone. It's not about loneliness. It's about God saying, I want to be alone with you. And can I tell you that if you're feeling all alone, maybe it's because God wants to be alone with you. And maybe you're letting other people become the obstacle to you and God. Loneliness is usually a disguise of God saying, will you just be alone with me? Now, John epitomized in his life by building a discipline. And this discipline is rather unique. It's just this, that if he woke up at night after being sound asleep and 20 minutes passed and he could not go back to sleep, he knew that that was God wanting to talk to him. So literally, if it went past 20 minutes, John would get up. And John would go into a room and he would begin to give God access. And what John will tell you is, is that there has never been a great moment in his life or great decision in his life that didn't find its seed late at night when God just nudged his soul to wake him up for a few moments, to be alone with him. See, if you're going to lead for a long period of time, it's not just about how you lead others. It's about how you lead yourself. And solitude enhances specific skills. The intuitive skills, how to hear your inner voice. The analytical skills, how to declutter. The reflective skills, what are the critical questions you need to ask? And the creative skills, how do you allow thoughts to flourish? Now, I shared this lesson with you because based on the chair that I sit in, I probably spend more time in these moments than any other time. When I was young, I always wanted to be in the crowd. I always wanted to talk to the crowd. I always wanted to speak to the crowd. I always wanted to be seen by the crowd. But as I've aged, I've realized that if I was going to be able to do anything that would impact the crowd, I had to learn the power of solitude. I had to learn that there are times when it's not me. I had to learn that there are times when I needed to be all alone. I had to learn that there were times when God wanted my time and attention and that it couldn't be anywhere else. Now, I realize some of you are young and your journey is just so exciting and, and you're just so full of activity, and I applaud you. But I do want to say to you, and I want to nudge you, there are things that will happen in solitude that cannot happen in your life on any other terms. You're not going to be able to network it. There's no set of the crowd 
it is going to come back to one thing. That is you being alone with God. And to be honest, that can be a scary thing. But what I'll tell you is, it's the safest thing you will ever do. Because when you're alone with God, you always come out better on the other side. You will always be better at you. You will always be better at others. You will always be better. What I know is, you can't be your best if you haven't learned to be alone with God. So maybe this is something you can look through and walk through. I hope it helps you. It's a part of my life and a part of my journey. And I think that it would be an enhancement in your life, in your journey. Thank you again so much for joining me for the podcast. I just pray that maybe you could think of someone that maybe a podcast would be useful to and you would extend it and you would let people know about it. I'd also just say to you that uh, basically there are a whole lot of opportunities to enhance your leadership journey. I can't tell you how often and how frequently the roundtables are just a key moment in people's leadership journeys. Could you join me on January 23rd in Plano and then January 31st in Seattle? I'd love to have you be a part of those. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for listening to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast. If you'd like more information on Dr. Brooks's books, audio, or speaking engagements, please go to geraldbrooksministries.com.